Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hello and welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. It's been a Rizuki on hosting duties this week as Tom Gibbs is still asleep after staying up way past his bedtime to watch the Super Bowl. FYI, so did I, but I'm not as big as he is. On the show today, Man City, or more specifically Sergio Aguero, take Arsenal to task. Chelsea get thrashed, then deliver a thrashing of their own. And a threadbare Spurs just keep on winning. It's a battle at the bottom of the Premier League as Peter Crouch is drafted in to save Burnley and Cardiff do the business against Bournemouth. Plus, transfer deadline day, a song for Europe. And because I'm on hosting duties, I'm going to give JJ a little bit of space and room and I won't argue with him about Pep this week. I'm joined by Chelsea Enjoyer. At least that's uh, what you're now referred to. I think that means that the man who enjoys Chelsea, Matt Law. Mm. Not sure about that. It's what's written in my script. <laughs> Did you write that? No. Okay, I won't blame you for it then. Hi. How are you? Good. I've done preparation. Oh, have you? Look, I've got a pad of notes ready to kill Arsenal and Stan Kroenke. Is that because today you know I'm the one who's hosting and I no, will grill you? No, no. I just felt compelled. I felt so angry with Stan Kroenke that and I you made a load of notes. Well, either way, as cool as you are, Matt, you're still no Sam Dean, who once shared a flight with uh, Snoop Dogg. Hello, Sam Dean. Hello. Yes, I'm glad that that is now being broadcast to a wider audience. My like Snoop Dogg run in. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, I'll set the scene. I'll do it quick. Uh, EasyJet flight to Ibiza about 10 years ago. And then just as we're about to take off, they come in and say, right, clear the first two rows. We've got a VIP guest coming on. Snoop Dogg walks in, gives the peace sign to the rest of the rest of the plane. Goes, What's up? Sits down. Goes to sleep, wakes up, gets off the plane, and goes to have a great weekend. Wow. Is he still called Snoop Dogg? Wasn't he called something else for a Snoop while? Snoop Lane for a while. He changed it again. I'm, I'm not I used to like Little Bow Wow. Okay. Meanwhile, JJ doesn't look as confused as I do. Um, Scottish football fan, JJ, tactics guru, would you like to be referred to? You can just, I guess JJ is fine. Guardiola lover. Yes, I like all <laughs> all the football. Let's start with your favourite favourite team. Um, at least I just like to refer them to Aberdeen. As your quite, team. We're talking about them now. That's good. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. But no, it's uh, Arsenal versus Man City, and 
Let's come to you because how did uh, how did Man City and Arsenal set up for this one? Huge, huge mistake in the forty fifth second, basically. Yeah, well, they start. They seem to be really good at starting like that. I don't know what Arsenal were thinking from the very start. Um, there were lots of confusion. I went to this game. I went to Manchester just for the jolly. Uh, it was really fun, um, and uh, a lot of confusion when the teams were named because they were trying to work out what the shape would be for Man City. Even though it's always you know it's three centre backs, but Walker plays on the right and Laporte on the left. And it means that when they go forward, Walker can go wide right if they're playing down the, down the right, or if they go down the left, Laporte can go wide left and the team shape all changes. But they, um, they were much better in this game than they have been, in, in, especially against Newcastle. The, the passing was much faster and crisper and sharper. Uh, movement was good, lots of underlaps and overlaps. And um, Arsenal, had, they scored with what felt like their first attack of the game, really. They didn't really get much into the game. As far as I can really remember watching it, I thought City controlled the thing. Mm. What did you think of the second half by Arsenal? Um, well, they didn't get a shot on goal, did they? Mm. Uh, City just had them dominated. I think they'd wanted to try and counter-attack, just frustrate and get up the other end, but torn apart. Lots of silly little defensive mistakes. Uh, I was also there, but I unfortunately was, was working and not enjoying yes. it as much but I thought there was quite a lot of positivity to take from the first half for Arsenal there are yeah. reasons for optimism they yeah, um, yeah I think they created quite a few chances I think they had the better of the second half of the first half if that makes sense and they really sort of you could see the plan that Emery had come up with and what he wanted to do and Torreira and Guendouzi were very good in midfield winning that battle a bit against uh, despite being outnumbered and then they conceded a silly goal just before half time, and then second half they came out and frankly were pretty pathetic. I thought the lack of leadership there and the lack of sort of fighting spirit was, I mean, the sort of issue they've had for years and years under Wenger, and it very much reared its head again. Apart from Guendouzi, who is absolutely amazing all the way through that game, I thought. Yeah, apart from, I mean, the the, two, the, the weird thing for Arsenal, and perhaps worrying in the short term and encouraging in the long term, is that the two most sort of. Uh, spirited players were Guendouzi and Torreira who are their two youngest players yeah. and the two newest players yet the sort of more recognised leaders Koscielny, Mustafi Lichsteiner who's an experienced winner who t- disappeared and did very very little to help the cause and they sort of seemed to have their heads down shoulders slumped and Arsenal just sort of looked beaten before they actually were beaten yeah they felt like you knew they were still going to win the whole time it's weird I obviously know that uh, you know Guardiola's teams are going to be hard to, to play against. Andrew and I, Emery has played them how many times? What twelve times and managed zero wins. Mm. But isn't there? A, and we all know that Arsenal don't have a great defence. But don't you think there's a lack of planning there at the back? A lack of sort of defensive teaching and organisation of the centre backs knowing when to come out, when to not, when to provide cover the midfielders. You know how to drop into holes or. I don't know, JJ, or is that just me being a little bit overcritical on Nuno Emery? I, th- I don't think you can really coach out the mistakes in some players who just naturally make them all the time. So you can drill your line as much as you want. But when, like, if there's a turnover, you don't expect it, like on the edge of the box. So for City's first goal, you had Laporte overlapped on the left and managed to get the break of the, the, the ball from a tackle. And uh, straight away, Arsenal looked out of shape. And so Laporte was able to go in and cross that ball in for a great score. And then I think it was the second goal that they scored. Again, a similar thing. There's a bit of panic. And Mustafi's way too slow to get out to join the defensive line. So then they get caught again with that. Might be the third goal for that. But I don't know how you... If you you spend all your time coaching these mistakes out of them, Mustafi's not his first choice centre-back, is it? He's got, cause no. he, yeah. So he's not got that straight away. They want to not have him. And then you can't... You can't predict that's going to happen I don't get how any professional team can concede I never get it how a professional team can concede in the first minute 
Mm. Surely just through being competitive and being set up for one minute, you shouldn't concede a goal. Mm. It's got to say something about how you come out. But it's decision making. It won't be trying to dribble past someone. It's the edge just of people exactly like immediately doing stupid things. But I don't think any professional team should concede in the first minute. I think it's a really bad reflection. I don't know. I still think it's a little bit of teaching. Like you tell your players and you know, boot it. Don't take chances and certain things. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being critical. But I mean, Emery spent the full week preparing. The, he's a very meticulous. I mean, he's the kind of guy who will go through you know all the videotapes in the world and set up a plan. And he did double session on Friday, which is a rare double session before a match. They clearly had a plan. After 40 seconds, Iwobi does that, and you're like, well, <laughs> what, what, can, what can the coach do about that when yeah. you've got a player who just refuses to engage his brain? It was like a 4-4-2 four, like four, four, kind of shape they mm. had as well. Trying to attack with, just trying to attack with four players rather than normally you'd have five or six at attack. But yeah, the two centre midfielders stayed deep. Um, Monreal and Licksteiner didn't really get forward very much. That Monreal was getting pulled all over the place. Kolasinac wasn't helping. He's a left midfielder, but basically meant to be an extra, like a wing-back almost. Mm. So they had a full-back and a wing-back. Um, but Lickstein, uh, sorry, Kolasinac didn't do what he was supposed to do. Guendouzi and Torreira as a midfield block try and push play out wide, so then they'd be, how, they'd be able to double up on the wide areas for that. But I thought Lacazette and Aubameyang looked quite well when the, they managed to get forward at the end. The fact we don't think that a 3-1 defeat and no shots on goal in the second half was a complete disaster for Arsenal tells you everything you need to know about where that club is at the moment. Yeah, Stan, Stan Kroenke is bringing that club to its absolute knees. Jeremy Wilson did an interview this week with Josh Cronkey, and it's probably not the done thing to slag off a colleague's interview, and I'd like it to be known I'm not slagging off his interview, okay. but I am going to slag off everything Josh Cronkey said in it. Because um, <laughs> he talked about a meal he had with Unai Emre, where they talked about climbing the mountain together, and the fact that uh, he thinks that they can get into the Champions League final. And this man is either just lying through his teeth or he's deluded. He's completely deluded. They're not even in the Champions League and he's talking about getting into Champions League finals. I don't see how they're going to get in. They might win the Europa League, might, if they get really lucky on the draw. In terms of through the league, they're not going to get in the Champions League for ages. Why? They're just not. They're they're miles off. And if they don't get in the Champions League this season, their budget goes down again. Mm -hmm. So they can't spend what their rivals are going to spend. Stan Kroenke is the only owner in the last 10 years to have ploughed zero financing into the team. He won't put any money into that team. So where's, where's he magically going to do this? It's just talking absolute rubbish. If you're talking mountains with Arsenal, they're falling off a cliff. They're falling down the mountain. They've gone fifth, sixth, and they're probably going to finish sixth again this season. And, they're just, and people now think it's a good achievement if Arsenal don't go to Manchester City and get done 5 or 6-1. I grew up, my first memory of watching... Arsenal was on as a kid on the telly when they won the league at Anfield and for years they were like this club they were like this dream club of you know competitive club who won things classy club it's the complete opposite now the standards I can't believe the fans aren't writing about it or going absolutely mad about it Gazidis lost faith in it he left to AC Milan to a dysfunctional club in Italy okay they're paying him a lot of money but he clearly lost faith in what Arsenal are doing Mislintat's gone um Ramsey's going to Juventus on a free transfer, which again just shows all the mismanagement that's going on. Well, maybe it's just money that's attracting these guys. Yeah, but there's no money on offer at Arsenal and they're not managing any situation properly. There, it's just. But then you can argue absolute... that Manchester United, for everything that they had, went from, you know, Alex Ferguson and then just fell down. Yeah, but they're still. What, what hasn't happened to Manchester United is that the general decline under the Glazers hasn't led to them accepting, 
just mediocrity. It's not accepted still. They're still trying to change. They're still spending. They might be spending it badly or they might be doing it badly. But what Arsenal's become is a club who are just like accepting rubbish. And Josh Cronkry and Stan Cronkry, every time they talk, are talking complete rubbish. They talk about, he talks about Sean McVeigh, who's the the manager of the Rams. I don't know much about NFL. Mm. And and he talks about how... Did any of you watch the Super Bowl? No. And he's going to come over and speak to Emery and meet him. And he talks about it will be good for them to cross-pollinate. What does that even mean? All the, all Arsenal seem to care about is making silly videos for their fans abroad and building the fans abroad and building the brand. They don't seem to actually care about, A, the fans who pay and go and actually telling them what's happening, and B, being competitive on the pitch. Let's end this on a, night, on a nicer note when it comes to this whole Arsenal-Man City thing. What about uh, Sergio Aguero, best forward in the league? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I'm sorry, I'm still reeling from, <laughs> from that. Um, yeah, no, Aguero's been you know, obviously he's absolutely flying. And it was funny because obviously when he when Pep first came in and Aguero was sort of in and out of the team a bit and didn't quite seem to seem to fit. And he's definitely sort of evolved his game and got better despite being towards the latter stages of his career now, which is a sign of his quality and also I think Pep's man management skills. But I was looking about thinking about how if you had to vote for the PFA Player of the Year mm-hmm. now, um, you probably put. Van Dijk is favourite, depending on who wins the the title. But I think it would be Aguero's first time actually winning the it's incredible the gong, is, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's incredible he's never won one. He's, he's barely ever in the team of the year as well. It's, yeah. it's really weird how I've got that a, thing. I've got a theory on this. I've crunched some numbers, Matt. Go on. Basically, Aguero, he has the worst time of his season at the precise point at which voting. everyone starts voting and thinking about it. Like Last season, he scored only three times after February 13th for the rest of the season. Season before, he had a six-week drought in a similar end of February, March to April spell. And the season before that, he had a two, two goals in three months before... Uh, three goals in two months, sorry, from February to March. And that's the point when everyone starts going, oh, player of the year, player of the year. Yeah. Boom, Sam Dean has nailed that. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why Aguero doesn't win personal gongs? Now yeah. you have it. Can I just um, also, other than slagging off Arsenal and the Cronkies... Sure. David Silva's hair. We talk about David Silva's hair. One day a guy has no hair and one day has this great head of hair. Mm. It's all that transplants are all getting. Exactly. But I mean, that is a good transplant. (laughs) I'll tell you something. I went to Istanbul and I noticed all these people had bandages on their head. And I just thought that a lot of people were going through a lot of like issues with brain tumors in this place. You know, I didn't know what it was. It was awkward to look at it until someone told me actually everyone comes here for a hair transplant. It's a really good hair transplant. I wonder what his teammates think when one minute he comes in and he's got no hair. And the next day he comes and he's got this great head of hair. Does your hair go gray if you have a hair transplant? I don't know, Matt. Does it? Don't know. I'll have to ask about that and, and get no. back to you. Meanwhile, uh, let's go to another player who could win PFA if he continues the scoring record that he managed. Gonzalo Higuain as Chelsea thrashed Huddersfield 5-0. Now, this was really bizarre because they went from a 4-0 loss to Bournemouth, complete outrage, 5-0 win over Huddersfield. What's changed? It's, it's exactly what Chelsea are at the moment. They're these two faces, one of which is awful mm-hmm. and one of which is pretty good. And... You never know which one you're going to get. And I don't actually think Sari knows which one he's going to get. Although I think probably we'd have all predicted they would beat Huddersfield at home. What was really encouraging about this, and you have to keep counting it by saying, but it was Huddersfield, but it was Huddersfield. Mm-hmm. You could suddenly see what Sari ball looks like with a striker. Mm. So it's Not su- nicer. Yeah, you could suddenly... I've been watching it all season and I've got to admit, I've not really got it because it's pass, 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 break down because there's no striker. And so the front three, 
the whole sari ball was just falling down once it got towards the attacking areas. And for those of us who had only watched bits of Napoli in the Champions League, watching that, you kind of thinking all this season, where, where's this going? I don't know where it's going. But with a proper striker in and with Hazard playing quite close to him, all of a sudden it made a bit of sense to me. And all of a sudden I think you could see what might be possible um, if they can take this and progress with it. But certainly it was an extremely encouraging start for Higuain at Stamford Bridge. I was at Bournemouth on Wednesday and I mean it genuinely was terrible from Chelsea. But Higuain played that day mm. and he was like anonymous is generous. He was just terrible. And I looked at that and thought, yes, he can do it against Huddersfield, but he's already having trouble dealing with Bournemouth, who were quite physical, quite intense, very sort of quick, quick to press and close him down. And he just disappeared. Huddersfield th- were physical with him, though. It was very noticeable early on. They went through him a few times, and it felt like they were trying to almost take him, not take him out of the game as an injury, but just put him off the game. Mm. And it was actually quite impressive against Huddersfield that... He he didn't let that get to me at all. He didn't stay on the floor very long. He didn't do this kind of Maratta complaining thing. So that's not what I know of him. I know of, uh, he's a bit of a warrior, exactly mm. like that. In comparison to Maratta, he's usually someone who's up for a fight. I was quite struck by how I don't want this to sound mean, but how uh, slim he was. Because I've always mm. looked at him and thought, oh, he's quite he's quite a chubby for a footballer. I know that's what everyone thinks about him. It's and then so mean. at Bournemouth, <laughs> he he looked in great shape. I thought we were talking about the press box thing. I thought he was supposed to be fat. He wasn't fat at all. There was, was a he meme. Fat, there was a no, meme going around no. in Italy when it was Juventus versus Milan, and you had you know Ronaldo pulling up to show you his uh, six pack, mm. and then Iguain uh, pulling up to show you his uh, beer belly, which was really mean. Um, <laughs> I think we should celebrate that. Since you were there, since you were there at Bournemouth, did, did, what do you think was said in the dressing room after that? Well, dismal, mm. dismal defeat. Well, it sounds like not much because Sarri then came out eventually to do his press conference, and we were all very much staring at the clock and fearing for our print deadlines and he came out and said I don't understand why tried to ask why from my players and they didn't really understand why either so it doesn't sound like he really got that far in terms of progressing it what was odd was that he threw the backroom staff out I mean what does that say to your assistant coaches I don't even want you in this room which is quite um, I don't know it felt like he didn't want to witness that, that, I did do a bit of digging on this I mean no one would, would say exactly what was said mm-hmm. um, but uh, he didn't rant and rave he didn't shout or tear the paint off the walls or start chucking things. Apparently it was extremely measured. Um, and he also did say to the players, what am I doing wrong? Is it me? He gave them the opportunity to speak as well. I actually think a lot of them were quite impressed with it. Really? He singled out a few. Hazard was was one of them. So he wasn't afraid to single out you know, the star man, which I think amongst the other players, probably people were quite impressed by that. Um, he wasn't just picking on easy targets. And yeah, I think whilst I'm not sure all the players are happy with what's been going on in recent weeks, I think the way he dealt with that, because they've been used, a lot of them, to Mourinho and Conte coming in and going ballistic at them. And I think they quite appreciated, they felt he was intelligently trying to tell them what had gone wrong and ask for their feedback rather than just coating them. He was much calmer after the Bournemouth game than he was after the Arsenal defeat a few weeks ago when he was so angry that he had to speak in Italian to get the message across in his words and he came out and we were expecting similar fireworks in the, in the press conference thinking you know we'll all be due an absolute storm and tirade from him but he was much calmer really and said you know maybe he said like, you know, like Matt says he said maybe it's me maybe it's my fault It's difficult to manage that surely if you're calling out Hazard for not following instructions but you're still playing him every single week it's 
quite difficult to manage the discipline of that because if you're saying one thing but then just letting him play doing the same things that is difficult well I think he's played two big cards as well I mean he has attacked his players once and he's as you said chucked as Sam said that you doesn't really work either are you? as Sam <laughs> said um, he chucked all his staff out the changing room and that could cause a lot of resentment mm. and still might have done you know we might find out in the coming weeks and months that that has actually caused but they're two meaty cards to play what would you you tweeted out, Matt, about the fact that Barkley started in midfield yep. over Loftus Cheek? Well, over Kovacic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and still not Loftus Cheek. Yeah, I mean Loftus Cheek's only just come back from. He's been out for quite a while with a back problem, and I don't think they're confident he's fully fit still. Um, I think Sari has a problem trusting him because of his fitness, actually. But um, it was just a lot less stuffy that that midfield with Kante, Jorginho, and Kovacic particularly against opposition like kind of Bournemouth and Huddersfield, is a stuffy midfield. Yeah. It's not a bad midfield, it's a good midfield, but it's stuffy. There's, there's not any, anyone to skip past a player. There's not anyone to suddenly pick a pass out. And again, you have to counter everything with albeit against Huddersfield. <laughs> but Barkley gave them an attacking impetus. He gave them a freshness. He gave them a little bit of magic in that midfield three. And even though he will make... Against better opposition, he is probably the player in there who might make a mistake and give possession away in a bad area. I still think they're better off with him in there just because he just gives them that bit more. It's stuffy without him. It's direct passing, isn't it? Yeah. It passes between the lines. When they have Kovacic there, it, what tends to happen is they tip-tap around like you see and they get, they get found out because it's always going sideways. But Barkley forces things and he gives turnovers away, but that's fine if you've got yeah. him in a counter-press to win it back. And that's the big difference you get is they can take them forward and take you know gain territory by putting the ball between bodies yeah. he should have scored a couple of goals actually I mean he was a bit off target with his shooting he had some good chances um, but again he gives you a goal threat from midfield where without him in there again in that midfield three you don't have any goal threat from midfield so if Hazard's off and your striker's off where are the goals coming from did, did Huddersfield try and did no, it, Huddersfield Jorge, were a Jorginho man marking job. No, I mean they had Aaron Moy, who's only just back from injury, and I think they vaguely tried to do it through him, but he just didn't look fit enough to do it. But I thought they were incredibly naive. They played exact. If you'd have said to Sari, "How do you want Huddersfield to play?" They played exactly how he'd have wanted them to play. Considering you've used the caveat, but it was against Huddersfield about forty-five times already. Um, does that mean these guys are down? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. For sure, everyone in agreement. Yes. yes. Okay then. (laughs) Right, okay. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. That ends the section there. Let's move on to the rest of the Premier League, starting with the other MVPs, including Son for Spurs. Spurs not really very Spursy at the moment. Winning no. games that they need to. What do we think about them? Spurs are, Spurs are funny because, I mean, I've spent most of the season thinking Pochettino's done the most remarkable job pound for pound as manager because of all the circumstances, the injuries, the World Cup fatigue, the stadium, the lack of transfer signings. I've been thinking this guy is doing the absolute phenomenal job. But now I'm starting to think that actually I'm wondering whether all those sort of circumstances and all those reasons that Spurs should be struggling on paper are actually serving to sort of motivate them, make them better in a sense that they, they've, got, they've given this sort of, the players have been given this fire of, here's, here's a massive list of reasons why you should be struggling. Seize mentality, he's created accidentally. Exactly, yeah. it's, like, it's like 
yeah, it's created accidentally. It's sort of the, <laughs> the classic sort of um, everyone's against you sort of approach. And it looks like, I mean, the fact that they've won their last three games with late goals speaks a lot about the mentality and the togetherness in that team, which has been allowed to sort of grow. And it must be strengthened by them thinking the whole world thinks we're going to lose. The whole world thinks we're not going to get top four this season or whatever. We're going to prove them wrong. I mean, they were briefly second. But Gigi, what did you think of uh, Llorente and the decision to bring him on and sort of offload how much of a target Son had become? Well, I think it's more a point of how good Son has been all season long. It seems to go under the radar quite a lot. Um, and he does win a lot of Player of the Month awards and things like that as well. I don't think it's a bit under the radar this season. Just I, think, I like still feel like he does, him. but it also at the same time he doesn't. It's like he's not considered as great a player. I the goalkeeper like should have saved that shot, shouldn't he? As well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Son, Son has been the last three seasons has been brilliant. For One of the best time. players in the entire league. He's mm. and he must be a dream for a manager. Absolute dream. He's constantly smiling. He has to play like a million games for South Korea and keep coming back for Tottenham <laughs> and playing a million games. And yet he will still run himself into the ground. I was at the um, the Watford game, which was his kind of first game back. And he looked exhausted. And yet he just kept going and going and going. And obviously he got one of the late goals. And it was, it was incredible he could actually fathom the energy to hit that shot that he scored against Watford because he just looked on his knees. And at the end, he just collapsed. And... Even just watching him, you kind of at the end wanted to go over and give him a hug and just say, oh my God, the effort you've just put in. Because it's unbelievable. He was £22 million when they signed him. That's got to be one of the best value signings around for a long time. I mean, he's still, is he 25, 26? Yeah, he's still young. Still got a lot of years ahead of him. He's just superb. Absolutely superb. And I'm glad he's getting, because he's, he's quiet by nature, and he's nice and he won't grab headlines with what he says. I think that's what maybe JJ's referring to from a media point of view. It's quite hard to, apart from your own opinion, it's hard to write a lot about what he says because he doesn't really say a lot because he's just a really nice guy. So he doesn't grab headlines from that perspective. So it's really nice that, that people are appreciating him now. But he's he's just... Wonderful. It's a sign of respect for Newcastle as well. So the top six is so far ahead of this last week. They're so far ahead of everyone else that now um, teams like Leicester will take points off them sometimes and others they'll lose. It's very hit or miss. But Newcastle and teams just around their area keep going with this really defensive outlook against any top six team. It's the exact same setup he had against Man City. Uh, Rafa Benitez here with his 5 4 1, just trying to frustrate them all game long, so close to getting the point out of it as well. It's not amazing to watch. And it's heralded as a tactical masterclass every single time. But he does well against the top teams, I do. I mean, he, he has works, got a good they record. Can't, you can't score against them, can you? There's no, no room. So no. then you just have to get a lucky counter-attack goal. And I have to say, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, with the, no, the, yeah. the squad they've got on where they are, I think it's it's clever. It's good management. Is anyone else getting really bored of the whole... Will he go? Will he stay? God, I am. God, it's so tiring. Everybody outside Newcastle is, I can understand why Newcastle fans probably don't like the likes of us down here saying, oh, it's really boring because it's obviously a huge issue for them. But it, I think I talked about this last week. I yeah. mean, he's constantly got a, you know, a gun to their head with his future. Well, we talked about Son. We talked about the fact that I think Urendi deserves a few plaudits because he's grown into his role. You got the assist as well. And there we go. But there's one guy that I'd uh, love to take with me to Italy if I could, Rashford. (laughs) (laughs) United win again, but it was tough for them. Uh, JJ, I know that you're a bit of a Rashford fan. Yeah, I love him. He's great. Um, I thought Man United were a bit... um, They weren't as sharp. They didn't have the same drive in this game as they have done quite recently. And 
they maybe got like it was a mistake that gave them a goal. It was Pereira passed it inside when he should have hit a blue shirt, and Pogba's ball atop his Rashford is great. Rashford took it down beautifully. I love that kind of first touch, and then smashed it in the back of the net. But there were there were a lot of kind of sloppy things going on. They weren't as clinical. Sanchez didn't do anything. He didn't touch the ball in the opposition box once. So basically, you're saying Solskjaer out, right? <laughs> no, I just think <laughs> just admit it. That's what you're saying. Well, it's, all, it's a lot of it's on momentum, isn't it? As well, and um, they they set up well. They're doing everything right. And they're just, they got through that. That's the kind of game I think under Mourinho they might have ended up losing. But there's just that extra bit about them. I thought it was a really good result for them. Yeah, I, I, I really so thought it was a potential banana skin. After the Burnley game, okay, they came back against Burnley, which keeps their momentum. But after the Burnley game, looking at going to Leicester, I thought it was going to be a really... And it was a really difficult game. But if you'd have asked me what you think the result is, I'd have probably gone for actually United losing that. Interesting. So I, I thought it was a really, really good result. And yeah. particularly the fact they didn't play great. They, you know, withstood a lot of pressure in the second half. They got a bit lucky. And again, they were reliant on De Gea. But I think that's a big result for so them. So the old Man United is getting the job done, getting yeah, over the exactly. line. And then they can play better at other times. Yeah. Interesting so, how the goal was pretty much a carbon copy of the goal Rashford scored against Spurs, which when the ball back in midfield, Pogba just plays it straight away, plays that direct pass. Yeah. Which I think that's probably like, on paper, that's like the ultimate Mourinho goal, where you sort of force an error, turn over quickly, and like use speed and power and finish it. And I thought it's like, you know, slightly ironic that they've started doing that so well since Mourinho left. Would you blame Puel for the fact that Leicester didn't give them more of a run for not trying to get a point for the organisation, perhaps? Well, they were close, though, weren't they? Like they did okay. They had chances that um, Vardy swing. You had a couple of chances he could have scored, and you know, on an. I hate this saying, but on another day, they could easily have taken them, but that could well have happened. And it was only 1-0 all the way through it. I only watched the highlights, I'll admit this. I didn't watch the full game. Did anyone watch the full game? I've seen I did watch highlights. The, I watched um, the full game. Because Harvey Barnes in the highlights looked really good. Yeah. And just, just on him, uh, Mason Mount was getting an awful lot of credit for what he was doing at Derby this season. But someone I really respect, who, who basically only watches championship football, kept saying to me the whole time, Mason Mount is doing great, but Harvey Barnes is actually doing better than him on loan at West Brom. Harvey Barnes is doing really well. And I know he made a little error when he first went back to, to Leicester, but I think he still played well in his first game. I can't remember the game. Wolves, he's yeah. good, he scored yeah. as well. But he's, yeah. he's come straight into that team and looks really good. And he, he plays against Man United. And from the highlights, he looked fantastic. He looked fearless. The little fast feet bit where he taps inside in, in the box to go past two players and sets yeah, up a he chance. looks like a real, real prospect. But how have you looked at all these gaps that were there and... and freely exploited by United in the first half and not think you guys should be closing that down. They shouldn't be able to have all the space and time to run and Pogba to pick out these beautiful passes. Because we're not you. Maybe, oh, maybe they're nervous. <laughs> but maybe the players are a bit nervous because Man United have that reputation now so they don't want to be the one who makes the mistake. They're all making mistakes. They're young and they're doing, like Pereira's is the mistake. And um, if they're not getting tight to these players and they're giving them a bit too much space. They might have been told to stay off them a little bit so they can't make that forward pass. There's no one running in behind them. I'd, I'd love to know what Puel's um, pre-match setup was and what he told them to do. It can't surely be to set off as far as they did, but there might be something that he said that's made them sit further back than they're supposed to. Better teams than Leicester have been undone by United's speed on the break in the last few weeks. So Solskjaer should keep the job. Whoa. Paul, Paul <laughs> Wait a minute. Paul Ince is throwing his name into the hat. Yeah. What do you think? What else does the guy have to do to make sure that this becomes permanent? Well, he's only I mean, they're definitely weeks. discussing it. It just depends whether 
it's just um, you have to see whether it lasts. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you have to see whether he, he's clearly got. This. I mean, what makes sense, I think, is they brought in a director of football to oversee the transition, and they're in charge of making sure that player recruitment is of a certain type and fit, and the manager they take in suits the players that they bring in, and then they're encouraging youth to come through because that really helps. Um, because if you bring in someone like Pochettino, maybe it's a maybe he doesn't fit the the philosophy of that club. Maybe he he works perfectly where he is. Maybe you put him somewhere else. It's not quite the same environment, so we can't do what he needs to be doing. I heard Chris Sutton this weekend saying they should give Solskjaer the job now. And I thought, that's like screaming at the radio. Why would you do that? Why would you not just see how it goes? Why would you not, you know, foot on the ball for a little bit, take your time, see how it goes? I actually think United are dealing... I'm going to park all my reservation about the loan thing, but United are dealing with it quite well. There's no way in the world they should just react to a few results and just give it him now. Mm. Just, Just see if it lasts. If you can get Poch, you have to get Poch. No matter how well Solskjaer really? does. Yeah, okay. I think so. Meanwhile, Crystal Palace uh, look good for their win. Batch-wise, uh, seemingly a great bit of business there. I think so, actually. I think for what you can get in January, what, what Crystal Palace can realistically get as a striker in January without wanting to spend any money, he's pff, not sure you can do any better. He's, he's a finisher. I think his goal record at Chelsea is something like 19 and 56, 57. Just given that's a lot of subs as well, that's, that's a good mm. goal return. Really good goal return at Dortmund. It didn't go well at Valencia for whatever reason. I don't know why. But he is a finisher. He doesn't do a lot outside the box, mm. which is why better teams and better managers don't seem to like him. But if you've got Andros Townsend and Zaha around him doing a lot of running and he's just going to be in the box to finish, I think he's a, a really good signing for them. One of the best attacks probably in the business, right? Well, certainly in the lower half of the Premier League. I, I can't think off the top of my head. Benteke started doing bicycle kicks as well. That could be. I look. I'm a Villa fan, and I will always defend Benteke. I think Benteke is great. Mm. Meanwhile, Wolves are the team that I love to mm. watch the most. Uh, Everton, though, will Marco Silva last until the end? Well, I don't see. I don't see where they would go. Who they're going to appoint? I mean, they've tried the Allardyce thing. I mean, they've basically gone uh, Martinez, since Moy, Martinez, Cumin. Allardyce, now Silver. Where do they go next? I mean, whether you think... Oh, I don't understand set pieces? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't actually think Silver's doing a particularly good job and you're dead right on the set pieces. But it's 11 they conceded this season. Yeah, and yeah. He, he had similarly bad records at Watford and Hull. It, it, it's mm-hmm. emerged. I wasn't aware of that. Um, I don't think he's doing a very good job at all. I don't really think he was qualified to get the job in the first place. But I don't... They can't just keep changing managers. They're going to have to mm-hmm. stick with a guy... They've got to get try and get their recruitment right. They've got to sign a striker at some point. But <sighs> well, they spent <laughs> this year is. I mean, they spent nearly thirty million on a striker and Cheng mm. Tossin. And he's just rubbish. And yeah. Walcott cost twenty million. And he's been pretty rubbish too. So that's fifty million pound worth of forwards who aren't doing the business. And like you can see why Mashiri's thinking. Well, <laughs> I've, I'm putting money into this. So you can see why you get frustrated because it's not like he's. Oh, I can totally see why you get frustrated. Mm. I just can't. Should they have gone for managers. that try? Well, they did. Well, they wanted to. They had a problem on Batshuayi because you can only loan two players uh, from an, for, sorry one player from another Premier League club, right? Um, and they've got Zuma on loan, mm. so they'd have either had to have bought Zuma outright or bought Batshuayi outright. Now, I think they did talk about whether to bid on Batshuayi and decided not to. Um, Batshuayi would have certainly helped them, but they were they were stuck in this kind of catch twenty two on on how they would get around that and do it. But they're. 
They're in a really odd position at the moment. Can I just say, I, I, I mentioned good value signings on Son when you talk about loving Wolves. Jean Moutinho, £5 million. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are probably a few reasons why we can't discuss on this podcast why they would, might have got him for £5 million involving a certain <laughs> football agent. But wow, £5 million. You don't get anything for £5 million. What a signing. Meanwhile, Cardiff won 2-0 against Bournemouth. Neil Warnock, emotional at the end. And as we know it, they did find the plane. Our thoughts and prayers, obviously, with Emiliano Sala and his family and friends. It's Oh, it was awful to watch, wasn't it? It's difficult to watch, although there was something inspiring about it. Mm. Um, a bit like Leicester earlier this season, the way the players reacted, the way the fans reacted, the way the club has, has reacted... Um, getting that victory. There was, albeit a difficult, upsetting watch, it's inspiring as well. Um, and it could be another thing that, in, you know, that Cardiff can actually inspire to try and, you know, the, the memory, they obviously want to um, pay tribute to the memory of this guy who they feel should be with them. And what better way to do that than, than get results and, and keep performing as they're performing? I thought, a, I thought the, the club and the team handled it amazingly. Yeah, they really have. On a far less significant and important um, point of view, Umar Nias has made a really big difference for them in the last two games going forward. Against Arsenal on Tuesday, he was causing loads of other problems because they've not had any pacing behind all season. And now they finally got that, which means they can actually turn turn teams around for pretty much the first time since they came up. And you can see that against Bournemouth that. Bobby Reid seemed sort of unleashed by it as well and they were really sort of stretching the game and it's so open but it's probably suited them quite well I think that yeah Nias who's been maligned a bit and sort of written off I think it just simply through his sort of speed and willingness to run in behind is actually making quite a big difference already Indeed Audio Football Club in association with Tag Heuer the official timekeeper of the Premier League Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. Meanwhile, it's now a song for Europe. So this is usually the segment that I come in and, and uh, interview myself today, <laughs> since Tom isn't here. But I'll give you a quick roundup. Uh, Monaco finally won, largely because Thierry Henry is not there. No, that's just really mean. Um, <laughs> but they did manage a 2-1 win over Toulouse. Did they change much? What do they, what do they change to get that? They've the changed way? all their players, haven't they? Well, Fabregas is coming, uh, and the way that he's utilizing <laughs> the the way that he's utilizing them, I just think that they feel happy on a psychological level under Hadim. And uh, actually, their CEO Fazilev came out and said, "You know, I take and I I bear responsibility for the way that uh, what what we did over the the transfer window, how many players we sold." Um, mistakes were made and uh, the decision to dismiss Hadim was also premature. Oh, a man saying something's premature. Meanwhile, Bayern Munich lost to Leverkusen, which sees Dortmund open a seven-point gap uh, between them and uh, Bayern, although there is uh, Gladbach in the middle. Does that mean that the title is Lucien Favre? I'd probably say so now, right? Lionel Messi scored twice, but Barcelona failed to beat Valencia. I wouldn't worry too much about it because Atletico Madrid also lost Real Betis. Once upon a time, a team with a great defence, they're conceding goals, much like another team in Juventus. They uh, drew 3-3 three, three against Parma with, uh, does anyone remember Javinho? 
Yeah, oh, yeah yes. of course. Yeah. yeah, big time. Well, he scored two goals against Ronaldo's team. People are crying because there's only a nine-point gap between them in second place, Napoli. Will they still win the league? Yeah. <laughs> they are the only team left in Europe who in the top five leagues that haven't been defeated because PSG lost to Lyon. Yeah. And may well lose to United. Can I just ask you a question? You've been telling us a lot about Piatek this season. Mm-hmm. He, I've just seen that he's made an incredible start to life at AC Milan. No, he's he's been on another level. Um, it's weird because it's written Piatek, but it's pronounced supposedly Piontek. Oh, sorry. Um, but he is obviously, you know, he came in and just can't stop scoring. And people thought, yeah, but now he'll move to Milan and see how hard it is, you know. Yeah. And he's hit the ground running. As two goals his first game and then another goal. His yeah, second game. his first full debut, he scored two two goals and then he scored one against Roma. And this is Napoli and Roma, two of the biggest yeah. teams in Italy. It's not like he's scoring. And how much have Milan paid for him? 4.5 million. Sounds like a maniac Sorry. as well. Four, oh, Milan. Yeah. Milan paid 45. 45. 40. 40. 40. Yeah. Okay. It's like Atusa was saying like, he's always there training after work and stuff. He's always behind asking about goals the whole time and how to score. Yeah, you know what I think it. is really also what is like quite Gattuso gutsy of him. <laughs> What's really gutsy of him is he arrived in Milan. He said that he supported this team. He's obsessed with them. He's huge. Like this is a huge opportunity for the, for him yeah. because he grew up obviously watching Milan, and then said walked in and went right hi you know went over and said, okay, listen, Diego Luxalt, I need you to pass me these long, quick balls. I need you to do the same from midfield. Just keep it coming and I'll score the goals. And they did exactly that. And he's scoring the goals. His little run for that goal in your post in the weekend was next level. It's so clever. Like he was about a yard ahead of everyone else reading the play where the ball was going to go. It was really great striking. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because like you said, he was signed for 4 million and then sold for 40 million. Mm. So you think, wow. And yet, Everton it, need to look at that scale. If it, but if he's as good as it's looking, forty million could still end up in two or three years looking like an absolute bargain for him. Absolutely, despite the fact it's ten times the amount exactly, that Genoa yeah. paid for. But I mean, if you if you get a striker who ends up being one of the top strikers in Europe, forty million is not a lot of money to pay for them. No. Well, speaking of bargains. Uh, let's quickly just wrap up transfer deadline. I wanted to ask you guys about uh, Armiron for Newcastle. Is it an anti-climax? <laughs> like, I just look at Matt's face and he's scrunching it up. So what does that say? Uh, it's saying something when Mike Ashley's Newcastle are the most active club on deadline day. Um, I'm going to make an admission that before transfer deadline, last few days, I'd never heard of this guy. Literally never heard of him. I've done some reading up on him, done some listening on him. Apparently it's extremely quick. Um, it's very interesting signing though, isn't it? Because we've been so used to our older players coming to the end of their careers going to MLS mm. I can't off the top of my head think of too many instances if any instance of a club going out and spending a lot of money to bring in a guy is he 25 something like that a 25 year old from MLS and putting their faith in him to come over here and deliver and you know as a club record signing so I think it could be quite an important moment for MLS because if this guy does well then lots of clubs will then start looking at MLS players and thinking they can make the the transition. And this isn't just a league where we send off all our old guys and they all go off to, to you know earn a little bit of money at their end of the career or make people take it a lot more seriously. So I think it's a big moment for them. I don't know much about this player, though, other than I'm told he's really quick. Lots of people in America are saying he's absolutely the, the business in that sense. But the best thing about this transfer and... and our colleague Luke Edwards wrote a great piece about this. That it's it's pretty much the uh, the 
screenplay of Goal. Remember that film from like <laughs> 2004 when that guy comes over from South America and he's like an unknown hero, Santiago Munez, plays number 10 and stuff. So I think in a year's time, Miguel Almiron will be playing for Real Madrid. With Was it Gavin Harris playing up front with him in that film? I think it was. The best bit of that film is that uh, the guy is right-footed, Munez, and the, the goal I think he scores is Lauren Robert's free kick with his left foot. Yeah. <laughs> so he runs up with his right and he switches to the actual footage of that. I tell you That's what, though, there's Munez a lot was. of pressure on him. I mean... Newcastle fans have been crying out for so many years to the, for them to break their transfer record. And yeah. obviously the last guy was Michael Owen. Mm. I mean, my word. And, and that place is, I mean, when you go up there, it's, it's just such a sort of goldfish bowl. I mean, it is going to be big pressure on him. It really suits Benitez the way he wants to play as well. He's defending because he's so quick. He, he's end. more of a, a, a kind of 10. He can play in centre mid, but he's, he's very likes to link the play like that. It must be... Surely, that because Ashley's greenlit it, that it is a transfer that makes sense because there's value to it. There's clear resale value because he's uh, not. He's probably at his peak now, so he'll have a few years of that. If he does well this year, he could well go to one of the other clubs in the Premier League for forty, fifty, mm. something like that. So it makes absolute sense to buy him now if he's only that much, like twenty million he cost or something like that. Does it make absolute sense for Peter Crouch to be back in the Premier League? Yes, <laughs> yes. Especially for Burnley, they love a diagonal ball. That's what you need, someone tall to knock it down. Mm. Crouchy on the Diag. Um, he's gonna, he did quite well at the weekend. He yeah. came on. He helped create the uh, chance that led to the penalty that led to the equaliser. I, I think that's quite a good weapon for Burnley. I mean, they're, they're already accustomed to lumping it long. And now you've got the ultimate lump it long option it's on the It's easy bench. to laugh about Peter Crouch. He's had an unbelievably good career. Yeah, brilliant. yeah he's a great player. He's one of my <laughs> favourite players, to be honest. I love watching him. Right, he's record, the nicest guy. Have you ever met guy. him? Oh, yeah. my word. Nicest Lovely. guy ever. I met him in a Chinese restaurant. There you go. That's how you know. Now, Nisla question. I think this is quite funny. Uh, after Nuno Espirito Santo called the blank cat at Goodison Park a bad luck omen, what are your football superstitions that you practice before or even during the game? Look at JJ getting all like, <laughs> excited about this. Do you mean when we're playing football or going to a game? can be either, I Yeah, I guess that, yeah. yeah. When I used to go to Pataudry all the time, I used to, for some reason, when I was about eight, I used to always tap the badge on one of the, like, the pie stands. <laughs> I don't know why. It seemed, we lost, we lost 7 nil every week, so <laughs> do something wrong. But. Okay, maybe stop tapping it at yeah, that point. Don't do it now. I've, uh, I'm not a very superstitious man, but I've got a very specific way of lining up my notes before a match if I'm reporting on it. It has to be in, in a certain way with certain things underlined and certain things in bold and a, Certain font and everything needs to be needs to be lined up properly before. That's just plain begins. sensible. Before is, is a match that OCD begins. or superstition? That's OCD. <laughs> is it? Oh. That's professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm a bit more concerned. But yeah, that that needs to be in place. Otherwise, the match report is never going to work. I um, when Villa got to the FA Cup final when we played Arsenal a few years ago, when Tim Shaw was manager, I put on my supposedly lucky Villa socks before the game, came home and threw them in the bin. Have you noticed how cup finals are just the absolute worst thing in the world ever if you're supporting one of the teams in them? Mm. They're horrible. You go there They're and... as stressful as anything. All you want is it to be over. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's like when you go to a roller coaster or something, you just want it to be done. Yeah. And then you oh. finish like, wow, that was good, let's do that again. So, well, the only successful thing about it is that you didn't die on it. So <laughs> why do you not just not go on it? Local derbies are a bit like that as well. Yeah. I imagine it's a lot of fun if you're a Real Madrid fan <laughs> and just watch your team win resilently. Yeah, are you a fan or... Do you have any superstitions? Uh, I do, actually. And the Champions League knockout stages I listen to. Do you remember the song from the 80s by is it Go West? Um, 
we close our eyes, we never lose the game. Unfortunately, I do recall mm. that song. Yeah. So I listened to that before every knockout game, and I forgot to you last season when we were playing Real Madrid in the in the Bernabeu, and we scored three 0 So I was like, oh my god, I didn't need to listen to the song. And then Ronaldo <laughs> converted that penalty. That's all we have time for this week, but don't forget you can contact the podcast AFC Podcast at Telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Subscribe to the podcast search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. Thanks to Joel Grove, our producer. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.